what's up everyone? Today we have Russian Superstar, one of Russia's finest uh, poker players, big money, big, big serious, uh, one of the most dangerous poker players of all time, through Terra Kuznetsov. Yo, 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 Hi. How are you doing? Have you seen the uh, the recent uh, like Phil Galfant uh, and uh, Firo back and forth about some uh, like EV and tournament sort of thing on Twitter? Wait, wait what about EV and tournaments? What is this? Uh, so basically, they were discussing like if if the best uh, players have higher edge in uh, tournaments and uh, like ultimate. Uh, GTO bot sort of if you put like bio simple preflop and like ICM whatever FGS whatever they use calculations and the tournament yeah, bot, yeah. which will be better <laughs> and uh, basically Phil thought that in uh, big big field tournaments uh, like the best players would have higher edge and I guess significantly higher edge and Feeder was like I I'd bet big on a bot. What do what do you think about that? Uh I think, I think field might be, yeah, I think on these bigger uh, field tournaments that may be true just because, yeah, I would probably say he's right, Phil is right, and big field tournaments, you're actually supposed to give your opinion, not, it's supposed to be interviewing you. <laughs> All right, I'll um, give mine, I'll give mine too. And high stakes ones, and, and ones with, excuse me, ones with mostly pros are um, good professionals anyway, I think the bot would win. Bad professionals, and I'm not so sure, just because, like, I think bad professionals actually have a lot of holes in their game, and they're not, uh, as sound as one might guess. So, what is your opinion on this, True Teller? Yeah, I think, I think it's like, uh, in a different, uh, phases of the game, uh, it works a bit different. And in the, like, in the end, uh, the bot will have like massive advantage over any human in like any sort of field when like most of your decisions are just shoving or calling especially if you have like middling stacks and the ICM situations with like 10 left, 8 left, 7 left, whatever because like the difference mm -hmm. in EV between calls and folds is uh, kind of massive like if you look in the calcs and it's not like you're gonna you're gonna find some read on a guy, or whatever. He's shoving some range. You you're either calling him or not. Like, it's like it's hard to pick up a tail preflops that often, or like you know do anything to that extent. And like if if you are the shover too, you like you're either shoving your like ace nine off in the spot or not. So and those like those difference in EV are like really really big. And I like and they are kind of. Like it's it's a bit hard to exploit people over there too. Like you're definitely making much more like much higher mistakes by not calling correctly than by like uh, folding a peep of a hand versus a person who is like a bit too tight at this time. Also, people like go a bit crazy sometimes in those spots. It's like so hard. It's like it's not not always uh, that easy to to make a good read. So I think like in the final stages of tournaments, uh, I'm picking the bot like every day of the week like any field just because of the like calling of all lanes and like shoving properly with those middling stacks the ma mask gets like really really hard there but like oh, earlier really? yeah oh. i mean uh like from 
yeah, from what I know. But like earlier in a tournament, yeah, of course I'm like at the level one. Of course I'm picking like me or you versus a fucking bot. Come on. Well, that's a that's what the question is. Partly is that um is does does the EV that comes from exploiting people from all the times that you're actually quite deep or, or deep like I, I don't know how would put kind of potential edge there is 30 anties deep like sometimes it feels like there really is some from my experience but maybe i'm delusional it's hard to say um not not calling uh it's not from like i'm not exactly the master of these short stack ev calculations that's what i uh, need to work on and actually that's why i am working on but um it, it feels like there's something there. Yeah, the question is, is any kind of exploitative edge that's gained from whatever post-flop, uh, deep post-flop situations or 30 big blind situations where there might be some post-flop involved, uh, can it possibly negate the ICM stuff later in the tournament once you get to close to the bubble and all that good stuff? I mean, I think in a main, or, like in a, um, in a main event, I, I definitely take a, like a very I mean, I take f***ing Fedora versus uh, the machine for sure himself, like, uh, but like in, a, I think for, like for the most tournaments, I think he's right, like, because the percent of your stack that you're making, if you're playing very correctly as ICM, like is is higher than the percent of your stacks that you're making with like your win rate in the early stages, if that makes sense. You shouldn't look at the win rate in the BB per hundred there because, like, stacks are shorter. You should make like percent of your stack, kind of thing. Okay. Have you done any calculations on these sorts of situations? Just because, like, I mean, you'd have to look at, you'd have to look at the number of hands you actually play when this much ECM is at stake. Because I would think that. You know, for twenty antis and stuff, or there's not that many. There's not yeah, that you, much. You play like ten times less hands at uh, like thirty x the stakes. So, I kind of think, you know. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Because that's kind of the metric that's needed. It's not just well, it's not just the stakes, by the way. It's also where your ICM vulnerable. This should be your specialty. Yeah, These are good yeah, yeah. But this, the this thing is, like, if you are. Uh, if you count as a percent of your stack and like ICM is the only time you cash anyway, uh, you can just uh, like cal calculate win rate in terms of percent of your stack you're making sort of thing. And it's going to be a better metric than doing antis and then looking at the stack stakes, etc. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, I, I've, ju I've just seen the math on like how big the mistakes are of not calling correctly or not folding correctly in the like all in a fold situations, and like it just definitely makes sense to me. And I think uh, uh, Peter has seen more math than me on that, so I, I tend to believe him. Also, I think he's like one of the best exploitive players himself. So if 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 he is picking the bot, there, there are some reasons to go with the bot also. I actually kind of think so. I kind of think he might be one of the best exploitative players. Uh, he's up there. He definitely has a different and unconventional style, but partly because of his style, I really do think in a lot of tournaments that the bot might not be ideal just because people don't play... People have a lot of holes. Um, and there's a lot of things that the machine does that I can just totally see unless you're playing at someone who's halfway competent. Uh, or like 
pretty legit. And my definition of pretty legit is a little bit different than their pro. Um, <laughs> it's just like they're pointless to do these machine plays because these guys don't make these kinds of moves and they, they don't they don't have balanced ranges in a lot of situations. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like the bot is not gonna stare at people disrespectfully. Also, the way Feeder does, like when you know when he sits and just stares, stares at you. <laughs> Stare equity is not uh, really considered. You're not really supposed to. It, even in uh, at MMA and things like that, they don't stare at you. By the way, they they, they actually stare at, the, at your chest. They stare right here. I learned that. Yeah, I know. Um, that apparently is more useful, also probably in poker, than staring at someone, looking them in the eyes. <laughs> um, speaking of math. How important do you think math is in poker? One thing I want to mention uh, that a lot of people probably don't know about you is that you're like, you went to the equivalent of something like MIT in Russia and you were like a mathlete. You won some tournaments, I believe. Yeah. In Russia, you're like a math of sorts. Yeah, like I, I, I did well in like Russian math Olympics and like some Asia Pacific math Olympics. And uh, I went to like Russian MIT, which is called MCU and did like a major in theory of probabilities while I was playing. Yeah, like, but I don't think that actually helps that much in poker, to be honest. Like, you study very, very complex math, and like, it's uh, like really uh, mind -fucking the level of complexity there. And like, you need like eighth grade of school for poker kind of thing. You just need to be able to calculate. Okay, there are sixteen combos of AK, you know, sort of thing. It's uh, def definitely on a different level than the stuff you would study in the uni. Yeah, I took like an. I was actually very good at math myself, but not like not like you. I took I won some math competitions, but like they were in my school and things like that. Uh, it motivated the competitive competitiveness. Competitiveness motivated me, whereas I don't really think it motivates many most people in math, which is pretty important. I have various theories on the psychology behind to actually become successful in poker which I want to ask your opinion about um, in a second. And I, one thing I remember is that I totally don't remember anything I took in my advanced math classes in college. They proved to be completely useless, basically. They got so esoteric that I just, I just didn't know what the, f the point was. Um, it was like about like imaginary complex, yeah. uh, imaginary numbers that I, I don't even remember I don't remember literally one thing from that class. Um, but I I think that I'm not sure how much math ability appears to correlate with poker versus something else. I actually, I, I think I know what that something else is, but I want to know your opinion. And I want to know why, why you, um, I remember you told me that you knew really smart people that often failed in poker. Do you think that was the norm or... I mean, I, I, I think you, poker requires yeah. like some other things that just mass ability. Like I want to speak a little bit first to the stuff uh, that you mentioned that people are not that motivated in mass. I think that's uh, very reasonable because I think the sort of talent distribution in mass is uh, uh, much further away than the physical distribution in people. Like the weakest man is probably like seven times weaker than the strongest man or like 10 times weaker than the strongest man. And 
like oh, really? the dumbest guy uh, is probably 1,000 times dumber in mass than like the smartest guy. Or like maybe I may, maybe oh, well, more okay. depends how you count it. Like the sort of the difference is like much higher, and it's like a lot of it is genetic. I think so. Like it makes sense not to be motivated if like you are sort of dealt a card and like it's there is some things you can do with it, but like no matter how much I run, I'm not gonna outrun Usain Bolt if I train for like 14 hours a day, you know. And and the like and the difference in mass talent is much higher than the difference between me and like Usain Bolt. So it's what? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, like. I've seen people who are really talented in, in my like I'm quite talented myself, but I've seen people like better than me, and like it's not not comparable. Like it, it's impossible. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I wonder if that's the same in other kinds of fields too that are a li little bit less um, able to be analyzed. Um, but let's talk a bit more about poker. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I'm curious. Curious first, how much does this kind of analytical intelligence carry over to poker? Because why why aren't all these like math geniuses being like, wait, look at all these idiots in poker. Let's just go play that. Let's do all the math and then execute it and take all the money. Like, why isn't this happening? I mean, uh, nowadays, why would you need math? Kind of, you know, you have solvers and uh, sort of the math people did the math, you know, and uh, you can just look at the results <laughs> sort of. Uh, memory makes more sense than being able to do I mean sort of mass mass people like their advantage you you can understand the sort of algorithms that like that solver runs kind of deep and like pretty faster than other people but uh, like in terms of implementing it you need uh, good memory and uh, good emotional control and, and and for to like to exploit other people you need like a lot of focus and I think like focus, I think focus is like somewhat correlated with mass ability probably, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's very different thing, I think. I think like focus is much more like correlated with uh, some like non-neurotypicity or like how, how, how do you call it, call it? Like if you're not exactly normal. Uh, neurodiversity? Yeah. Focus is correlated with neurodiversity? Yeah, I mean, I think like, I, I did, uh, I, I I did surprise myself a little bit. I did some tests on like uh, ASD, and I scored like at the middle of ASD range. I I, I sort of uh, so, I, and I think like that's true for a lot of poker players. Like maybe more than they realize. Uh, and I think that's very correlated. I think it's very correlated. And I know that you are, and I think like many other uh, other <laughs> players who play high stakes are too. You know, especially the, like the very best of the players. I, I think that's very related to the amount of focus you need to generate to play high, like for a, for a long time. One thing is that uh, focus is intense. Focus can be the opposite result of having a bit of ADD, which is one of the one of the things that can happen if you are on the neurodivergent scale is you can have ADD. I mean, I personally have a little bit of ADD, a dyspraxia, um, dyslexia as well. I don't know if this has been a developing thing or not. But yeah, uh, I wonder, there's a good chance that there's people on the, people that play poker on the, are on the neurodivergent spectrum 
which includes ASD as well. And basically, you have to be a bit of a, an outlier in poker in a few different ways. You have to be one of these people who's willing to... Um, who's willing to try a uncon an unconventional route and try something that people aren't necessarily... Try something in the range of things that isn't what everyone else isn't necessarily focusing on because there aren't that many cultures in poker that are like, yeah, or cultures out there that are like, yeah, let's go play poker. It's like kind of an outlier thing. Or was it a big thing in your town? You came from a small town in, or big town in Russia, like a, like kind of a science-y town. Hey, I, I, was, Nova, I was in a small... Yeah, yeah, I was in a small, like, uh, small town near Novosibirsk, and then I moved to Moscow when I was 16. No, poker was not big in, in my town. I mean, my friend started playing online poker, but he was, like, uh, same age as me, and I started playing a bit after him. But I think in, in Russia, it's probably a bit more in the culture to... I guess it got a bit more in the culture after the Soviet Union breakdown to do some things that not not as like not many other people are doing, like to sort of hustle, like hustle your way into. Oh, yeah. really? I thought this was more of an American thing. I actually think Russia and America are culturally like quite close in terms of values. We obviously on like other ends of the cultural and actual war right now, but uh, I, I think our values are actually much more similar than people would think from outside. Okay, who would have thought? I, I guess I could see that. It's quite some like, I mean, when, with the, the between rivals uh, in, you know, in the Cold War and all yeah. that, there should be, rivals usually have quite a lot of similarities, and um, so it turns out. So how did you... Yeah, how did you get into poker? You just decided, okay, like this is a way for me to make money. There's some math involved. Let's do it. I mean, I was I was always good in games, and uh, I always may wanted to make a lot of money fast, and I always believed I'll have a lot of money like very fast. And then I seen poker. Okay, like here you you can go really fast if you try hard. And I like I didn't I didn't mind trying hard. Yeah, and I, I mean I think. Yeah, like I, uh, I, I was lucky. Was getting good fast. Uh, shout out to Phil Galfond. At some point, he his videos uh, helped me a lot. Actually, like when I was playing Five Ten, I think I watched some of his like older videos. They were like two, three years old, and I'm like, what the? F this guy understands a lot of stuff, like much much deeper than I uh, I thought there is. Kind of. Yeah, uh, he also helped me. <laughs> so I guess Phil Galfond. Uh, created some created people who ended up being good. It helped me around that stage as well. I remember specifically a certain video that you think, oh, I shouldn't do things this way. And it was a bit, um, when people were just playing in a way that wasn't really defense oriented, I guess you can say, or excuse me, wasn't really um, centered. Uh, more balanced. It wasn't a balanced approach. Really, yeah, so. and I'm like, I watch those videos, and I'm playing those guys in Five Ten, and I'm like, these videos have been out for like two, three years. Why haven't you guys watched it? Like, you clearly don't understand what what he's talking about in the videos based on the way you play. <laughs> like, what the? F <laughs> it, it was strange how people just never really applied a lot of what seemed to be pretty available. Um, I mean, I noticed it 
quite a lot when I was playing. I mean, I still notice it, frankly. I see a lot of people uh, not really applying The Sims, if I'm honest. Like, I I mean, I, like, I realize there's shit I need to, like, hit them again myself in some kind of way. But really, people take a long time to adjust, specifically in poker. I don't know if it's true in, like, other areas, like, I don't know, stocks or business or that kind of stuff. I mean, business is very, very complicated, as I learned. But there's a lot of similarity in in certain areas. There's a lot of similarity, I would say, that aren't that obvious. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, going back a little bit in terms of, like, what I think is uh, similar between uh, Russia and U.S. and, like, it's a bit different in Europe yeah. is... Uh, um, value of money by society like how much uh, status does society ascribe to a person who makes a lot of money uh europe is like a bit different with mm -hmm. that i don't think they respect you that much if you like buy a fucking lamborghini and like drive around and, and <laughs> do things like that you know? uh and <laughs> like in russia and us is uh, maybe a bit more status oriented I mean, the status is different. Status, like, people seek status everywhere. That's, like, universal truth. And uh, it's just, like, the status in Europe is, is different. Is more, uh, like, connected to culture, to class, I guess, to education, to institutions. And, like, in Russia and U.S., it's more about how much money you make. Like. <laughs> I think, uh, well, I think Russia and U.S. have a, my guess is that they're more, um, they tend to seek higher and higher levels of status. I'm seeing this. Um, they have that, that quality of ambition, perhaps a little bit more than some of the Europeans. The Europeans tend, there's a lot of European cultures that tend to be more laid back and chill, and that seems to be their thing. Yeah. Whereas uh, Russia is just, you know, like full throttle and... When I think of Russia, I think of, like, kind of, like, uh, yeah, full throttle and, like, kind of cutthroat and something like that. I kind of uh, uh, whereas rogue, it, too, it, in a way, like, you know. It's uh, very prevalent in the U.S. also that people are often very, very ambitious and, like, overachieving and they really want to. I mean, not all these things are 100% correlated, but, like, as you're implying, like, Many of these things, people do these things for incentives such as having a nice house or a nice car or having a nice status probably is one of the biggest ones because there's a lot of perks that come with that in certain um, groups in the USA. In a lot of groups, I would say. I see it a lot more in like Miami and like places like that. Los Angeles especially. It's one of the reasons why I'm here, but I have a different theory that I want to test. Um, we'll maybe talk about that later just because it's a little too esoteric. Um yeah, so I want to talk a bit more about, like, what, what made you good? Like, was it... Because it wasn't exactly the math, and you're probably one of the best people at math uh, that played poker. Like, was it just... It must have been something. Uh, I, I think I have, like, I think one quality that helps uh, is uh, related to music a little bit. I'm not, I'm not great at music or anything, but... Uh, as a sense of rhythm, you know, like, if you can... Uh, sync with a beat sort of and i think that's very related to intuitive understanding of frequency you know like if you if somebody is bluffing uh 30 of the time 
versus somebody is bluffing 15% of the time. If you have a good intuition for that, it's gonna help you like tremendously in poker. And like most people, they, they're not gonna notice the difference intuitively. Like somebody's bluffing 50%, somebody's bluffing 30, somebody's bluffing 15%. Like it's not that easy to notice. I think I think you're very good at that too, by the way. I don't know if you know that about yourself, but like, if you notice frequencies, I do. Yeah, like you notice frequency of something. I, I guess that's related to memory, like a bit. But I think that's not only that. Yeah, it's um, I, I never thought heard anyone say it like that. But maybe that does have something to do with music. I'm not sure. Uh, what I can say is that maybe it can come across this way, but I can feel the difference in, um, I can feel something's wrong. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. it, it completely that. does make sense. It's, it's kind of the same thing I'm getting at, because uh, when I feel something uh, wrong, I, in my head, I hear it as an offbeat tone, you know, like it's, uh, it's a tone that doesn't fit. In, in, in sort of in the music that's playing like this guy is, is running fucking crazy he's running at like 150 bits like bluffing too much you know like I can I can hear this like this is not okay and this guy I haven't heard a sound from him like in a week you know okay I fault all right guys true teller can hear if you're bluffing I mean I get like um, I guess it's related I, to how you imagine stuff. Huh? Like, I guess it's related to how you imagine thoughts in your head, too, you know, how you perceive things. I perceive things with pictures and with uh, sort of music or tones. So, really. yeah. I, um, I can feel if what I'm doing is not really working in comparison to other things. And I can kind of feel what is roughly right based on my actions it looks like my bet sizes and things like that have not been too incongruent with gto i mean i have changed things up a bit but uh, i i changed things up specifically because i think people will tend to uh make more mistakes against these things but i've been like it looks like i've been kind of wrong a lot well i mean wrong compared to like what's actually truly optimal uh, i can say that i can see when something's wrong or I can see, or feel, I should say, feel when someone does something that's out of sync, if that makes sense. Not just in poker, I can see if someone's behaviors aren't, um, I, can, I can see, like, I can see if someone's behaviors or my behaviors come from a place of bias and inequity, if that makes sense. Inequity is actually a more appropriate word. Yeah, I mean, I, I, does this make any kind of sense? It, it does. It does, but I'm not, not sure what what you imply by equity. I think it's a bit a bit, bit of a warped world uh, word in in like Western culture nowadays. Uh, it, it comes with strings attached. <laughs> but yeah, I like I, I do understand the same stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know how this is towards. I don't know how everyone can. Um, how much everyone can relate, but uh, I mean, people can feel when they do something bad, for example, it's very similar, or they can feel when they have an unhealthy way of managing themselves, as an example, um, that kind of thing. It's a, sort of similar in poker. Anyway, uh, what 
I want to I want to know where how did high stakes enter this picture because we're talking about you playing poker and you being pretty good at it. Um, and somewhere along the lines, the nosebleeds came into stakes. You just kept playing and playing in secrecy, and no one really knew who you were or, or what's. Uh, were you like? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't want. I didn't want people to know who I am. But like, I did. Uh, I did go up to high stakes really fast. So I, like, it took me one year to go. I got nine months to go to five, ten, ten, twenty, and then I watched a few Galfund videos, and basically I was beating twenty five, fifty. One week after that, Whoa, okay. I mean, it, it did change a lot. That is me. that is really fast. Yeah, I, I was fast, but I wasn't that fast. Um, and what happened? Was there nothing that happened that ended up uh, where you just started playing the biggest games in the world? Was it just smooth sailing all the way to five hundred one k? I mean, what's the? I mean, I didn't. I was playing no limit short stack first, and uh, yeah, there like it was super super fast. Uh, I got like extre extremely uh, good at it before it was cool, kinda, and uh, like cool. beat everybody. <laughs> sort of, yeah, yeah. I mean, people people like people got good at short stack uh, later, like you know, started limping and stuff. I was like limping heads up, like very very early in in, in like short stack and like. I, like defended big blinds really really wide and like th three betting preflop with proper frequencies and, st and things like that uh i mean kind of proper frequency i did i did some some life, like some knee mass to understand how how much you should defend big blind and like it was kind of precise actually but like i didn't i didn't have solvers but you did the math right I mean, some some sort of some sort of knee mass. Like you can always run some approximation. It, you don't like you don't need any advanced mass for that. It's just kind of sort of like eighth eighth grade level mass. You know, like kind of kind of mass they would ask you on like a interview to a consulting firm or whatever. Yeah, I, I, like that that was a pass. I was uh, thinking I'll take in uh, in career before I found poker. I was thinking I, I would be working like McKinsey or something like that. Like a, as a consultant or as an investment bank, uh, investment banker, like one of the two things. Uh, okay, so it is math that everyone could have done, and you were just the guy that did it. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd like it. I don't, I don't think it's just the mass. I, I'm, I'm sure many people have done the mass. I think it's a combination. Like, you need to control your emotions. You need to understand when other people are bluffing too much or like folding way too much. Because that was like where all the money was before solvers. Like you understand somebody's like folding too much versus this fine. Like you exploit it. Sure. All right, True Cheller. You know what we haven't touched on at all? We haven't touched on the actual stuff that you've done in poker. That's kind of a big deal. Like you've played against Phil Ivy at massive, massive stakes. You've uh, you've played in the biggest games in the world in Macau and the biggest games in the world in Las Vegas. Biggest mix, biggest and toughest. There's a lot of like. A lot of like total end, you know, point zero zero one percent kind of things, millions of dollars, high stakes cash. Uh, I know you've had a couple financial blunders too, uh, financial splurges of sorts, and and you have got some big debts as well. A lot of big stuff. We should actually talk about that. All the all the hooks. Um, so yeah, I don't even know where all that stuff began. I know that you were crushing like Macau or something like that, and all of a sudden you came into the high stakes. Asian games. Is that right? Is that how it happened? How your foray into really high stakes in the public 
happened, or am I mistaken? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, w I was playing... I, I, like, the reason I first got to Macau was because the triple draw games on Full Tilt uh, ended, I, like, I remember... Uh, yeah, I, th I think we were playing, like, 2K, 4K or something, Deuce, and, uh, like, last, last, last week... $100,000 buy-in for the audience. Yeah, last week I lost like two million or whatever, and I had uh, all of my action. Like I guess it, like I mostly had all of my action on the online games forever. And then, like for the next week, the biggest games that ran online was like 1020 No Limit, and I was like steam out, steamed out of my mind. I'm like I can't, I can't stake this. This is this is this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is too much. I need I need to do it a thousand buy-ins at this 1020 to get even. <laughs> like, this is just not gonna work and so so i decided to fly to macau and like one friend uh went with me i went there uh i got some money there like uh and uh yeah like, i think michael teresa changed some hkds for me for my online mo money and then you later I found out that like how you got the money like that's not that no, no 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 it's a it's 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 a little bit of a funny story because like everybody in Macau was upset at him uh, about that later all right so uh, okay you're a big fish entering a small pond uh, apparently the small <laughs> pond of the whole city of Macau right next to Hong Kong you know one of the biggest cities in the world uh, and I guess pure annihilation happened or what uh not exactly i mean they were like i was a bad life first and i gave up like tales and stuff and like i was uh too disrespectful uh in a way i was playing so like i paid some for that i was like playing ridiculously loose like i wasn't folding buttons in macau you know like I was, <laughs> like unopened because i mean <laughs> Like, so they were playing bad, boss up so bad, so I was just like, uh, yeah, I was playing really bad myself because of that, I, I decided it was a good... Also, I was bored, because, like, I wasn't used to be playing 25 hands an hour. So, yeah, it took me some time first to, like, understand sort of that playing the way I'm playing is not the best way. But, like, I ran hot in the beginning, too, so... And, and games were good. So I did, I did start enjoying Macau. Yeah, and I was uh, learning mixed games. I think at the same at the same time because I was playing Deuce already, and I like I wanted to beat Phil in the eight game, like, and I knew he would play me really big, and like in in because like he was cross booking with people like for a while already, and like everybody else were sort of like there were no reliable source of action in any other form of poker, and with Phil I knew that if I learned like eight game really fast, he would play me really big. Like and like for a lot of hands. Yeah, which what happened? So yeah, you know Phil Ivy apparently is um, you know the, the a bit of a target as it turns out. You know best poker player in the world. Whatever. Like, you know let's just you know work our way up to having the right skills and taking them down for big. Apparently this is like the move. For, uh... I mean, I mean. He was also not, he was not as focused, you know, like I was uh, living poker 16 hours a day, like for many years at, the, at that point. And uh, Theo was like playing life, uh, having much more fun with his life, etc. Is like, 
it's a bit of a natural progression I, and i think it's like a little bit to do with respect to like five years like if i party for two three years i'm not gonna go and play some 20 year old kid online this is the guy who's like like grinding poker all his life <laughs> yeah i mean it's like it feels like in the like party he, like in the club just partying it up with a bunch of girls and opens up his laptop please yeah and like uh, like i i have i have his like his face was a target for a year on my on my fucking, you know not not literally but kind of like i was planning to beat him for a year already because i like i knew he would play me big and like i wasn't sure about anybody else that they would play me big for long it's a fair point like it's like, like no one's gonna like take off the target of phil um i mean that kind of happened with tom actually i well i'll get to that in a second i just want to point out there's a couple of lessons to to draw from this i mean first of all i think this is a good lesson is just kind of get in there um you just like flew to macau and you didn't really think about it like this is one of the traits that's actually very useful um it's in all the cartoons and things like that they talk about courage you know <laughs> to just do it and get in there yeah it's actually a more useful trait than sitting around and doing all the math and things like that and even though you weren't yeah, at for the beginning sure. and even like making a number of mistakes i mean you did have like the edge of being basically the big fish but you're splashing around all, all over the place you still made you still made it work and the story with uh phil is is phil's got to stay hard phil got soft is what happened and then along comes true teller is in the were you in the basement were you in the basement grinding <laughs> yeah i mean kind of I think I think one one like sort of general point to make out of it too is uh, I think there is only one cardinal sin in gambling and like and like in most of other life too it's pride and uh, like if if you are guilty in that sin you'll pay for it like no matter what like when I came to Macau and seen how they played you know sort of like whatever middle pair and turn or something i got too proud and i got too disrespectful and i played like shit <laughs> so like I, I didn't lose or anything because i like I, I hate losing like and i was really really good player but i still like i won way less than i could have at the beginning uh phil uh he's a great player maybe the most gifted player ever like i would i would i'm not sure who i'd bet against him in, in that regard but like he definitely got too proud and too disrespectful and like if like many many people beat him heads up no not many like few people beat him heads up you know like matthew but beat him heads up at horse to matthew for oh, example oh yeah german uh Matt. yeah and uh germans beat him at deuce i i i just managed to beat him in 8-8 game so yeah um yeah, I will say it's one of the when it comes to money specifically. I think there are some bigger, some bigger things. Um, as I learned, actually, uh, my obsession with this one girl drove me mad uh, of sorts. But uh, I mean, it kind of it like there's not a whole lot I could do. I tried really hard not to to not be to fix it, but uh, there's only really one solution, which was uh, ignore. Uh, which I, is really intense passion. Um, but uh, I could talk about that for, for a long time as the life leaks and things like that. I think they all amount to uh, inequity. 
the it's actually a word that people use in the past uh sin but uh, this is this is all the esoteric jungle stuff uh if we have time we'll get to that stuff but it it, it very easily i want to say that it very easily translates from poker to life um and it's just a matter of like what currency you're actually looking at is it money or is it time whatever whatever it is or health um it translates in all those other kinds of ways but yeah pride is something poker teaches you is don't get uh don't get disrespectful like phil I mean, yeah, you know, look, we don't need to to make Phil scapegoat of pride. I think, like, sure. I think every poker player is is guilty of pride. Like, like for example, in basic stuff, like you know, you like which uh, like one thing which uh, like probably any like one dollar, two dollar player is guilty of uh, is uh, they put other person on a range and they put them on like super simplistic super unbalanced range so like he's only bluffing here or like he's only value betting here like you think he's dumb you know like you you are being so proud in your judgment like you think like you know he's like kind of like player of, of your level and then you're making this judgment about his range that's like very, very unbalanced, and you know that you know that kind of you're acting with certainty. Like when people go for those like super hard exploits versus imaginary ranges that they put into other people's minds, that's like, I think that's super disrespectful to those other people, and they like they always end up paying for that. So would you play super GTO against? Uh, would you play super GTO against the one two grinders? You play GTO and then uh, you observe. Like uh, things, is, you all see things. Like you, ob like if you if you play GTO and observe, you are unbeatable and like you are almost max exploit too. Uh, that is, I almost agree with you. I personally take the population tendencies, start there, and then play GTO and then adjust more if I see someone do something that's not according to status quo uh because a lot of people really do do similar things i mean sadly i mean i mean or or not sadly actually they do <laughs> actually maybe not that's not so bad but uh you know and, you know it's got a you know a dark and light side in that the in this case the light side is that you know if you're a poker player you make money because they do bad things or because they all kind of have these uh, sheepish tendencies, but the dark side is that um, if bad cultural cultural values are rampant, it uh, pervades a lot of areas of life. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, about pride, also like not 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 to say I'm not guilty of, uh, about that myself. Because, you know, like when I started playing the uh, Big Bad Mix in Vegas, for example, uh, when I played my first session, that's uh, when the 5K, 500K rule appeared, you know, because I requested it. <laughs> you know, like for, for, for those who don't know, <laughs> in the Big Bad Mix, we have a rule. If somebody is losing 500K a session, he can add uh, a game to the mix or he can subtract a game from the mix. Uh, that, that rule appeared when I first played the Big Bad Mix. Like I, I've seen a mix, I didn't know like 40% of the games how to play them. But uh, like uh, I find it really fun to play new games. So it's not I can't call it only pride. It's curiosity too, and like it's fun for me. Mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, but yeah, I, I like I lost eight hundred Ks that session, and uh, for that summer, I, I did get the eighth uh, chair in 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 the seven hundred game. So <laughs> I can't say I'm not guilty <laughs> of disrespecting uh, other poker players myself. I can't say I'm not as well. I'll have to think of an example. Uh, I've definitely made some really bad folds with like flushes and things like that in Asia. Um, <laughs> Big Bitmix, I don't know if I if I made that mistake in this specifically. I was like quite cautious in this kind of situation. It's a huge game. It's like a 200k buy-in game or something, with like a bunch of tough different games like Double Draw High and Pot Limit Badoogie, and all this weird stuff where it's like super hard to actually play well. Um, but it's much more fun. That's the payoff. It's, it's a lot more fun than like sitting around grinding Macau and not being able to get a massage. I mean, it's it's the best game by far. Like in terms of fun, I, I don't think it's any close. In terms of like actual fun you get in from poker games, I think like Big Bet makes super mm -hmm. fun. Um, so do you have any stories from playing with? I know at some point you transitioned from playing to from Macau to playing in Asia. There are Asian private games with, uh, uh, I wonder if we can say his name, but with some very high stakes players and one particular famous recreational player who did not like to sleep until he lost a lot of money. I don't. I remember you weren't there for the seventy-two hour long session, but I know that you played with him. Uh, do you have any stories from? Yeah. This I know what I know. Some numbers that you've won. I don't know if you want to share or not on the stream. I mean, we played. Uh, we played for millions of dollars. We didn't have uh, neither me or you had like uh, close to hundred percent of our action. It was uh, like it was much bigger than like any of the TV games or like whatever to that extent. Uh, I mean, I guess like the fun things are that you're not allowed to sleep. Sometimes you're allowed to sleep for one hour, like in, in a 50 hour session or whatever. I remember you like we were in a room with like three tables and we were playing on one table and you got super tired and uh, asked, uh, asked the guy if he can sleep. He's like, yeah, okay. And he didn't want to go to the room to waste time. So he just like laid on the second table that nobody was there and just slept on the, on the table under your jacket <laughs> and then go back to play. Yeah, I remember that specifically. That was in London. Uh, <laughs> like, he's yeah, the one who made that rule. He like makes rules of you can't leave unless you're losing 10 million US uh, <laughs> as well. <laughs> I think I only slept yeah. one hour for the 72 hour session as well. And then there was another guy who we played with who bluffed me off a of flush uh, with top set for like, what was it like? We were, we were over, I guess we were something like 10 million US deep, but I was sweating super hard because he just never showed a bluff ever. Um, I don't think you were. Were you there for that hand? That was in. Uh, I think I think I think I remember the hand when when he check raised you on turn with a set. Yeah. yeah on the flashboard. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know the hand. I mean, yeah, it was a mistake, but uh, you had the reasons to do that. Uh, pride, I guess. The guy over. So <laughs> yeah, you could. 
I think it can cause a pride in a way. Were there any super big hands that you played that were along these lines between these kinds of players for huge amounts of money? Did you ever play in like the really private Hong Kong game? Two questions. I mean, yeah, I played and I like. I'm, I played in like some very big games. I mean, I think I think the biggest spot I've played was online versus here, but it was like it was very big hand, but. Uh, like it was like set versus uh, straight and short deck on turn. It's not. It's not that fun. Like yeah. you get in. I had a straight. I I won. Yeah. Well, people in the audience like this stuff. Usually, is if even if it was like for three hundred k, like who cares? Like, not not really a big deal. We're talking about the big bin mix and well, I guess they can't say anyone's. Name. I mean the hand, the hand, the hand was over like the hand was over five million dollars, but yeah, yeah, we didn't like I didn't have all my action for sure, like not 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 nearly close. All right, um, the big, the really big game I'm talking about, by the way, is the Hong Kong game where people like could lose a billion dollars. I know that you had two uh, percent of someone, and one day you woke up, and you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like I, I learned that I lost 1.4 million from my fucking 2% piece. Like, what's the fuck? <laughs> I got texts. Not not the best of times. Not the best of best of the morning. There was another game where I had I I had a share of someone in this other very enormous game that was an online game um, that I well we never really got paid for, but. I mean, this is part of the reason why I was gambling a lot because I thought I, I I raised my share in this enormous game because I thought there was some kind of chance this guy wasn't a pay wasn't gonna pay even though I was told for sure, man, for sure he's gonna pay. Blah blah blah. Um, I hear I hear it all the time, and then the for sure thing doesn't happen a lot of the time, all the fucking time. It's like, yeah. what, why do people keep saying this? Um. So, yeah, I, I mean, people like people don't play, don't pay more often than I thought. And people don't do a lot more things as often as you might expect. As I learned, I've been really surprised. Uh, but anyway, I've been like straight up like just th things that happen that you just never can imagine happening in all kinds of directions. Like people like steal from me and stuff like that. It's just never even been stolen from in some strange ways. Uh, so. Yeah, so I had like 8% of someone, no, 6.5%, that's what it was. And this person had lost mm -hmm. every single day. <laughs> every single day. And then one day, they finally, uh, I finally woke up to a text and that 6.5% was worth like over $2 million or something like that. Um, but not collectively, it was worth that much after, you know, the, all, all the losses and then finally, boom, went up to 25 million but it was a huge online game um that i know you may have participated in yeah i mean the there were some like ex extremely extremely big games uh one short deck i guess got first popular online and uh yeah i, th I think I, just, I think time to time there will be like very big games in poker but uh like it's harder to get uh in the very big game, and I think one like one of the things also that hurts uh, 
many really good players of uh, getting and staying in the big games is uh, is related to like respect and pride too. You know, mm -hmm. like if if you come to to big game as a pro and you will uh, act disrespectful or even like people are good with understanding what you actually feel if you like if you're playing with business people and you're like actually feels that they are dumb because they play poker bad which i think is dumb to do but if it feels that way like you're not gonna stay in those games like you need to sort to understand that yeah it's not it's not the things they focus on like they they play for fun and like if you actually are respectful and respect them it's like much more chance you'll stay and play in the big games than if you think oh these are some dumb people who locked their way in, in their money and then say are just gonna lose their money to me now ha 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 well, like that's not gonna work well that's an incredibly uh, awful attitude to have that's a great way to get like permanently barred if, if that's what you're trying to do uh, I do want to talk about that a little bit yeah um so you know, related to all that and related to poker, there's this underlying theme of changing your behavior to maximize your bottom line. Um, I was actually thinking of writing about this because at some point it hit me, wait, what is my bottom line? And I thought to myself, well, why am I optimizing purely for money? But even in the context of money, you can see in these games that these kinds of like negative attitudes you can have are just like wildly unprofitable. Like you can totally say you can go to like this game and you might not get invited back anyway, but there's some kind of percent chance that you do if you, if they like you enough. And there's some kind of percent chance that you just get barred totally if you're a piece of shit, if you're quite arrogant or uh, very tight or whatever it is that that's not what they looking they're looking for. I have a story about this actually. I, I actually did get invited back to a game of sorts, but I got cock-blocked uh, by, well, that's one way of putting it, by uh, a bunch of whiny pros, unfortunately. They may have screwed themselves over more, but who knows. Um, I, I'll i tell the story briefly, but basically I played in a game, and I started winning. I started, like, open-straddling every hand and, like, doing weed and getting really high and uh, taking a couple of shots and things like that. I actually got invited back to this super soft game, um, but uh, the whiny pros kicked me out. Anyway, um, that whole theme of like changing your behavior for the sake of your bottom line is something that I think a lot of poker players don't really understand. That your behavior is not just you know the actual plays that you make; it's how you act as well and i mean one thing that people really don't understand is what is your bottom line do you see what i mean yeah yeah i see what you mean kind of but i think like one important thing is uh like you can't act too far from your like authentic self kind of if you come in a game and think they want you to act all crazy and extroverted and you actually like uh, like you're actually me and like not so extroverted i actually very introverted and like i'll start act acting all crazy and stuff that's not gonna look authentic it's gonna look like incongruent to what my actual emotions are and people are gonna feel the fake nobody likes the fake so i think like you can change yourself gradually and uh 
like in some, in some environments, some versions of use that are still authentic will work well. And I think you need to be aware of that. So bottom line, yeah, I mean, I think, do you want to talk about like sort of balance of money, I don't know, relationship status and uh, relationship with yourself, I guess, sport, health, etc. I don't know. I think, I think that's too self-helpish as well. Like people talk about well, life balance too much. You can talk about self I mean, totally people, I can, I think people uh, would like to hear from the person who's arguably one of the best poker players of all time, maybe the best about, and one of the most successful for sure, one of the best professional gamblers, uh, 100% about how to manage their money and balance outside of things, because you must have been very focused on those things. And uh, I presume there was some kind of line where you started to sacrifice monetary gain for other things yeah i mean i think i mean there's definitely point of diminishing returns with uh money like if you have enough money to live two lives uh like two two lifelongs whatever is uh like you don't gain that much happiness or anything from making more money and like losing money always hurts so it become like you need to be really really good for the emotional equation to be still worth it to be making money yeah so for, for the poker players i think the best poker player now is uh matthew ashton not not not, not me like last time i've seen like last time I've been in Vegas, that's, that was the perception I had. You might like everybody else, I think, got worse. Got worse. Like I, I got worse from what I've been. I think you got, you got worse from what you've been. I don't know now, actually, but like from compared to the field a couple of years ago. I don't think I've got worse now Some in a subtle way, but I don't know. Uh, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, compared to the field. Uh, uh, compared to the field, that's what, like my, my perception at least. be true. I will say it's possible that Matt Ashton is secretly the best, although I don't know if he's secretly the best professional gambler. I think you are the best professional gambler overall, but for not obvious reasons, even though your results show it a lot more. Um, I, I'll explain in a second why. I mean, I think Matt Ashton is technically the best if, if like, we're talking about limit games and like the, the sheer like technical skills of these kinds of things but i think what matt ashton lacked uh that you have is that you were very explorative and very uh very quick to take action on opportunities if that makes sense whereas this is a different kind of gambling this is gambling on a on it's like it's one of these things where you have to look at people are constantly putting these situations too much in a box but part of the problem is there's this element of gambling and of life that there's equity in exploring because you don't know what the payoff of the potential is of these things. And you were much quicker to like try to uh, adjust or try to explore and see if there's potential elsewhere and take action and take like aggressive action, like challenging Ivy at like massive stakes and like preparing for stuff like that. Like Man, I should never did any of that, basically. Like he kind of, or maybe he did. Yeah, I mean, he item huge or crossbook massive like kind of thing i mean he, he definitely took less risks than than i did and like there is a there is definitely like some some aspect 
like some way to look at risk taking is uh, like if you never lost thirty percent of your bankroll, uh, you are not risking enough. Mm-hmm. Like most likely, sort of you you need to be explorative in a ways. You know, I I I think so at least. Like if you're playing like mathematically optimal stakes for you, like it. Uh, you need to be having downswings, otherwise it means you're not taking, like, you know, I don't know if you've seen, ma- like, I'm sure you've seen some mass on, like, Kelly Criterium or, no, like, whatever the optimal bankroll management is. It's, like, it's, like very, very loose, aggressive bankroll management. Yeah. Um, okay, so I don't think that Kelly is exactly right, but I do uh, take a different kind of approach myself that you've seen a little bit in that, I mean, there's this thing that this writer, Nassim Taleb, advocates and i think he's right about a lot of things i think he makes a lot of good points so he's arrogant as absolute fuck. this guy is so arrogant like he's unbearably <laughs> yeah um, it's kind of an ironic thing he like snubbed me in real life and then complained in his book that someone else did the same exact thing to him that was also very arrogant i thought that was hilarious uh it was like the same exact like gesture the the the, the lady like like kind of like Kind of like just walked away and ignored him um which i thought was hilarious but i didn't care too much his stuff's really good his writing anyway um but he says to have approach that prevents yourself from going broke with a certain amount of money prevent yourself from going broke and then with the rest of the money you need to be hyper aggressive in a way you need to like look for these like parabolic potential returns um and like keep exploring and try to find all those i mean this is like a bit of a method in stocks i guess where you like you take these kinds of risks that can go parabolic or am i confused but this this definitely applies in yeah, real life no, I mean, there, there, there is there is approach like sort of they call it barbell strategy banker management yes, strategy like stocks as well <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in, in poker, I kind of did similar thing. Basically, when I'm like when I was uh, sort of playing a lot, and it mattered more for me. Uh, whenever I was like at peak of my bankroll, or within ten percent of peak of my bankroll, uh, I took at all risks possible. Sort of, I played anyone who I wanted to, and like did did whatever in any game, kinda. Uh, if at all, and then like each. Each five or ten percent, I got off a peak of my bankroll. I game selected uh, way way harder. So basically, if I'm like down thirty percent, which happened uh, like two, two, three times, four times maybe in my career, I game selected like insanely hard. I only played the games where I would have like seven BP per hundred edge kind of thing, and like that way, you sort of let yourself participate in very tough games and like clearly some of the games were minus minus EVs that I played but you let yourself like explore a lot of stuff but then you can't go broke if your edge increases as you downswing more like you can't really go broke in a way yeah I actually did something very similar by the way I uh, gambled a lot more when I was winning and then when I was losing I was like okay I'm not gonna like play these people I'm not really sure that I'm actually beating uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it worked out to balance the e- in the ecosystem a bit that way. Think about it. Um, I used a bit of a similar approach in real life, but more towards the idea of like, okay, I already have enough money. I'm like rich in this avenue, but perhaps in, not, in these other avenues, I'm not so rich. 
and there's lots of other avenues as it turns out um but i like yeah focused a lot on self-growth uh for a long time i mean i still do it and now i'm you know the podcast got into the mix i mean the podcast is a byproduct of thinking okay well there's other things to be rich at maybe it's possible to be even richer too uh with the right focus and things like that it's an extension of that logic transcending the monetary bounds uh in my eyes and transcending the bounds of what is that of the game of poker if that makes sense that's, that's why we're talking about the game of life this is maybe you can appreciate the logic that went into uh the creation of this social experiment yeah yeah i definitely appreciate it like at a, i mean there's definitely areas to develop uh that people should look at and it's uh, poker players should look at I, i'm not equipped with knowledge to give advice to anybody else i think and uh uh like for me for example like one very fun thing to pick up was uh sports and uh like fighting in particular like uh, after i got like very good in poker and successful etc and I, like, I think I, I do some boxing for a couple of years, and I think it's very fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd like to actually fight somebody for like whatever for <laughs> small money or for no money. But that's that's actually not a professional fighter because, <laughs> like, I don't want to get beat up. I want it to be close. But I think like I think it's a very fun challenge and like very different mind state that uh, you get from like other things. I don't know. I think to me, poker is also interesting uh, in terms of uh, relationship with yourself because you need to understand, uh, like the way I approach it anyway, you need to understand your fear uh, and uh, your age, which balance uh, each other. Like, and I kind of bit learned to use them, sort of, uh, because like I used to bluff too much at various points of my careers and I used like if you listen to yourself closely you can uh, feel a little bit of fear in yourself when you're actually trying to like bluff a bit too much and if you are staying observant of your like emotional state uh, and like you know if you're very observant of it you probably can feel that it's like wrong to do this thing and you can tune your response to your emotions in the ways that suits your game actually, but uh, not not just block it and try to play in, like in an emotional silence, which was an approach I had like first five years of my career or whatever. To play in emotional silence, that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First I was just trying to like block it. And I'm, I mean, I, I, I did it successfully. I just blocked everything, like no emotions. I just take rash, rational decisions. That That was my goal. But then I realized emotions actually can be used not as a sort of white noise distortions that prevents me from taking rational action it can be used as a a cue from your subconscious a tip from your subconscious to you in this situation because it might have access to some memories that you don't have access to or like might actually be telling you you are bluffing too much and you just (laughs) got tilted and just like sort of get you back on track um that does that seems to make sense i was listening to what you said with uh bluffing too much being rooted in fear i was actually thinking is that true and actually i mean it would be rooted in a different kind of fear i guess fear of like not making more money 
and things like that. And I realized, oh, when I was in those sort of states where I was bluffing too much, I probably did have... Well, I got I get quite cocky sometimes when my bluffs work over and over, and I just, like, get a little bit on the over-aggressive side sometimes. I, I think you might have misunderstood the point I was trying to make. Like, I'm, I'm saying when I was in a state where I was bluffing too much, if I were to listen a bit more to, to, like, to the fear you have, like, you have fear anyway when you bluff, like some form of it. And if you try to amplify it a little bit, if you realize you're bluffing too much, it's going to be easier for you to not bluff as much. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, I could see. yeah, that's one way to, to adjust yourself. Uh, I personally wouldn't go that route, but I could see that being, like, the difference would be for me that I would uh, not necessarily view it as a bad thing to be bluffing too much, if that makes sense. But if your overall view is like that you don't want to bluff too much, then I could see how then the fear becomes useful. I mean, there's many parallels to the real world. It's like, you know, there's many, you know, fear is a useful emotion in many, there's healthy fear in a lot of situations when you're getting close to the yeah. edge of some, of like a cliff, like, you know, it's, you might be getting a little bit too close to the cliff. It's a similar principle, I presume. Uh, just, you know, the, the price of, of failing isn't death if you uh, mess up in poker or bluffing. Yeah, yeah if, you, if you get caught. Yeah, the, the issue is, of course, not being scared, per se. The issue is uh, not acting the way you would want to act if you're scared. And, like, that's, that's a thing, I think, definitely every person should uh, learn to deal with. No, definitely. Uh, it is a difficult thing to get people to master to do. Uh, before I forget, would you fight me? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, what what kind of rules? <laughs> like, I, I think that we, we could find a set of rules <laughs> that we that we could fight at. Well, I don't. I'd feel really bad if I actually hurt you. But like, when you're talking about like picking an opponent for fighting, I would actually be a pretty good opponent. Yeah. Um, aside from the fact that I really don't want to hurt you. Uh, so it would have to be like. I, I don't. Pretty... I don't. I don't really want to hurt. I don't really want to hurt you too. So we we can have a judge that calls off a fight like fast if somebody gets wobbled or something. Sure, but I might be your perfect opponent. I've been training a little bit of of stuff. I suck right now. I'm not training boxing actually. I've decided uh, to train a kung fu. I think I think that's a kung fu sign. I'm not sure. Oh, a few different things. What do, what do we want to fight? Like, huh? what do we want to fight at? What 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 uh, rule set do we want to fight at? Do I get I to think pick the rules? I, is this is this me getting to pick? I mean, we can discuss. You don't <laughs> you don't get to pick the rules, but we can discuss it. And like, since you're offering a masking, I don't even know. Uh, it's not going to be soon. I can tell you that. I uh, but I am um, I am quite physically fit, so that that helps. Uh, I've never been in a fight before. You've probably been in more fights than me. Have you been? How many fights have you been in, Drew Teller? I mean, I haven't been in a fight since school, but I have. I have sparred people in boxing. All right, great. Uh, I haven't sparred one person actually, so you have an advantage. That'd be. Um, I think. I think the poker world would like to see that. So the, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, it would be definitely. 
If it, it would be definitely fun for me if uh, if you think that that would work for you. Uh, think about the date and the rule set you want to fight at. Well, and shit, it looks like I have, I have someone who I uh, can compete against. Although I wouldn't view you to be um, the person that I would pick, uh, especially with your idol, your fighting idol, I think is Khabib, right? Where you just bet all the money on Khabib. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, he's not, he's not exactly my fighting idol, but I just I did, didn't think he was going to lose. <laughs> so I, I did make a lot of money by betting on him. <laughs> so who's your fighting idol? Fighting idol, like in boxing or in MMA. I guess it's different. Uh, let's say overall. I don't know enough about boxing or MMA to really. I've heard boxing is a little bit. I mean, I guess yeah. I mean, I guess yeah, Khabib. He's a uh, because I like I do enjoy fighting more as a sort of mental state, like battle with yourself. And I think he is uh, as a man in that regard. Like he's he he's obviously great technically and like very knowledgeable and super trained. But I, I think it's a men mentality that separates him. His mentality of what that he like fights with himself constantly. Uh, I think he no. I think I think he's uh, like in very deep uh, peace with his fear and his rage. Oh, really? And like uh, all the other emotions. Yeah, I think so. Oh, oh, yeah. I've heard, have heard that many and fighters I, and lack I, that, which is useful in poker, by the way, to be at peace with your your rage. I mean, no. If you like, if you if you are tilted and fighting and just like rush into somebody, they're probably gonna knock you out. It's like it's not the best strategy. Sure. Uh, I have a question for you. Do you find yourself when do you actively compete against yourself? Are you constantly like saying yourself when you go into a session that you're gonna like do better next session, this session than the next one? Do you like feel that when you're training? Uh, not necessarily this versus the next session, but I'm I'm very competitive. I like I try to get better at at the things I do. Well, that, there's a difference between there's a difference between competing with yourself and competing against other people. Like, I find that when you compete against other people, you tend to be it's easy to be you know really really to try very very hard. But I personally find when I'm in the gym. I'm not nearly as motivated when I'm uh, competing against myself. Or are you just always competitive? Mm. No, I do, I do care about competing with myself too. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I do some weights too, and there, there are like. I, I don't know. I, like, I, I do get happy when I lift uh, whatever heavier weights or when I, I can bench more, whatever. And I like, I have some goals too that I want to rich and like there's the, also not uh, like two competitive goals for other people but i I'm, I'm sure i'll be quite happy if i reach them you know kind of thing yeah yeah but that's not like the fierce competitiveness versus like you know that you may have had when you participated in uh the macau race as well uh against <laughs> the macau race 
<laughs> yeah, so Macau race. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's one, one side of pride as well. Like I, I picked, picked, picked a race, 140 meter dash, I think, versus this guy, Craig, who is like uh, Hercules on Earth, the type of guy. <laughs> He's like su super jacked super good at all sports, has like 4% body fat or whatever. It's like, uh, you know, cooks all, all of his meals. And I, I decided to like, that because I ran fast at school, uh, like I, I would win a race versus him. <laughs> and uh, we discussed the lengths. And then he went to train with like Australian Olympics team to get like his te technique properly. And then we, when we came to the run, I didn't uh, I didn't bring my running boots because I thought it was like I would be okay and like normal sneakers. And then he smoked me, <laughs> obviously. I uh, saw him in the gym like doing box jumps and things like that, wondering like what do box jumps have anything to do with sprinting? But he just seemed really like he knew what he was doing with all the all this sort of uh, what this sort of racing stuff. <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I did bet against yeah. you in this one. Um, yeah, it's it was just a, it a, was a sharp oh. side. <laughs> you know, I just had to take Hercules essentially. Like, it's you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's been training in the gym every day and like all this, all this stuff. I couldn't. Um, yeah. Uh, and because of how cocky I was in a way, uh, because I was like so confident of beating him, I think the betting odds in Macau were in my favor before the race. Actually, uh, people were like laying, laying, laying odds, <laughs> and I was just dead versus him. Like I had no no shot of beating him. That's so funny. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know you were actually like the the, the favorite to win. Only much Craig yeah, was yeah. the Yeah, 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 I was. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it was just because, like, I didn't do sports for seven years and I was still, like, so confident in beating this Hercules on Earth <laughs> that the people in Macau thought I'm, I must be really f***ing fast. <laughs> it is funny how much people, how much, uh, yeah, people are, are really swayed by confidence. It It's, it, yeah. If you're really confident in saying a lot of things, like you could probably convert a lot of people. I mean, this is how cults are formed, and that kind of thing, I guess. Uh, people say absurd. If you people say absurd shit all the time, there's a lot of things in self-help that people say they're fucking absurd all the time, and it's just uh, and people believe in like things like you can just uh, manifest and not do anything and like all this kind of stuff. All these weird spiritual beliefs. I've read all the, a lot of the weird spiritual books. Uh, investigating, actually, but a lot of them have put me off a lot, actually, because it seems like complete bullshit. Uh, I don't know if you've heard all the theories of like ancient continents that have existed and ancient advanced races. It might might be true. I'm not. I don't know. It's hard to disprove anyway. Um, Anyway. Yeah, I, I'm sure I'm less knowledgeable than, than you and, and that. But like about the beliefs, uh, I think if you have a useful belief that that is helping you to have a better life, I'm not sure that it is uh, like 100% relevant if that belief is representing the reality in full scale of it in a way. Like, like I'm not that against of having beliefs 
that are not like true in the most objective sense if they actually help you you know like if they actually make your life better i uh i think a lot of things that weren't exactly beliefs ended up looking like this in the past uh with having to do with religions they weren't exactly beliefs i would say that were really wrong but rather iron versions of rules that led to overcorrections that ultimately helped such as these iron religious rules um and there's a parallel because in what you're saying now um if someone is unable to deal with the real truth in an effective way then what you say is true it's like i mean if we're going to be really honest if we're going to be really honest here like if someone has to rely on like this belief that's not really true um in order to make a better life than the actual truth this is this is like you know putting a uh, like a like a child in a carriage this is the same thing uh if you see how it's like literally forming these artificial barriers around this person to um to get them ready for the real truth or to like you know just keep them from it uh there's many potential parallels in the real world actually and it's not always really a bad thing even being childish isn't exactly a bad thing in a way because it's impossible to be extremely mature that would be like being god essentially but um in the context of the religions in the past this is what interests me by the way um now what's going on in society is basically people are gaining much much more freedom and being able to decide for themselves what to do with their lives so now it's really forced that well it's going to be forced is and is forced actually is that people have to like somehow get their shit together or like um get punished essentially they can't really have these like anchors of of anchors of like these cultural memes that they used to rely on to keep them in good uh moral standing this was pre the baby boom baby boom if you look at history like things have changed radically in the last like um 70 years or so I mean, there are still, uh, like, norms that people adhere to, like, that are not... I mean, it's, like, it's hard to say what's objective and not about, like, the social norms and stuff, but there are still definitely... Yeah, I don't like, like, I don't know what, what angle to go to this question at. It's, like, super, super wide, I guess, for the, for the remaining of our podcast. Yeah. But yeah, like, like for, as an example, if you're old, like let's say you're old and useless, you're like 90 years old or whatever, and you don't do anything, you're probably going to have a better life if you believe in God than if you don't. Um, yeah, but that's probably a free roll if you think about it. I, well, yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Um, um, it, yeah. If you're 19, useless, yeah, and if you're like 32 and CEO of some huge company, it's definitely not a free road to be religious, you know, like, and to actually believe in God, because if, if, if it prevents you from doing something effective, it's not a free road. Um, I've like messed around a lot with these ideas. Yeah, if it prevents you, but what would believing in God or believing in, uh, I wouldn't even put it like that. I would put it in like, 
the even right below that having the kind of character traits that correspond towards believing in god uh such as for example believing that or just like optimizing so that everything will work out in the end um for example in addition to um in addition to like you know believing in a higher morality kind of thing which is actually not a perfect view by the way it's close but it's not 100 percent perfect um there's a subtlety there it just seems like what's what's going to be the downside of having these kinds of beliefs unless like literally your life philosophy is you're gonna like over as many people as you want for the sake of your own benefit like then maybe you know believe you're, ask, might you're be asking what's thing. a that well, what's the downside uh, of having religious belief like what what is your question exactly what's the downside of having which uh, beliefs in this case i'm asking why is it when is it not a uh the only situation where i can imagine it to be a negative free roll to believe essentially in um the things that follow from a belief in god i think this is uh, a bit misconstrued by the way this idea of belief in god uh i would say i would just refer to it as something else just to avoid the confusion um but it seems like the only situations in which that's not a positive free roll are if if you're doing something that's not good for society on the whole like that is a fact or you're you essentially have a a life philosophy that is rooted in short-term gratification or basically in short-term gratification actually like it's either in that or you're like basically a life philosophy that you're just gonna like screw over as many people as people are gonna let you get away with essentially I mean, I don't think you can put it this easy. Like any any sort of belief, uh, like religion or uh, like rule set, the reason for the like sort of the essence of the rule set is restricting your behavior in some ways. And like if it's not restricting your behavior in any way, you don't believe in anything. Actually, like it's a mental mental construct in your head. If it's not actually restricting you, like what's the point of talking about this if it's not restricting you from doing anything and if it's restricting it has downsides in this case it restricts you from all the actions that hurt everyone else ideally but people don't look i at mean that's uh that's very sub that's very subjective um like I mean, there are many situations where it's not clear what what is like more morally right to do. Uh, and like people are gonna get hurt either way, etc. I think you can use some game theory on it, and you can use some like some real like. That's why the the moral system actually, if you read about it, doesn't work a hundred percent according to what the actual result is. It record it works according to the intention you put into it. Um, because many people are not going to be capable of, like, doing what's truly best for everyone uh, in the in the long run. Like, that would be the, the ideal. And you, like, um, well, there's a nuance to that, I should say. Uh, and even, yeah, there's even a nuance to that. It's a bit confusing. You can't, you can't do that and force hands, essentially. You can't, like, over, you can't, like, push people you can't force people to do things is one of the uh important caveats but 
uh, I would just define it as simply having the intention of of doing of having the intention and like following through with it. Obviously, of doing what's uh, less than zero sum for the whole group, and what's greater than zero sum for the whole group. And your equity, your like life equity, um, would be dependent on that. I would say. I mean, there's there are like a lot there are a lot of topics to discuss like. Sh like how much more should you value people in your family good versus everybody else good you're a good versus your family good yeah. uh your friends good versus anybody else somebody you know somebody you hurt somebody you hate you know like it's uh it's it's, it's a lot of very complex questions i don't i don't i don't think there's an easy answer to that uh, and yeah, I, th I, I think mean, like being huh? too idealistic about it, it I, I think being too idealistic about it's that like yeah, we are all gonna like everybody is gonna do stuff for the greater good of all humanity is uh, I think it's quite hurtful because people are not gonna act that way like it's uh, people are gonna act in self interest. There is no way around that and like you should uh, uh, sort of uh, be at peace with that, you know, like you can't well, uh, aim at idealistic targets and be upset that it's not happening that way. It's not going to happen that way. Would you believe that I agree with you? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, this actually, what you're getting at is actually closer to the whole truth, as a matter of fact. But I don't agree with you that you shouldn't aim for that. It's the same thing as when you play a poker game and it's like saying, oh, don't try to win as much as you can. Do you see what I mean? It's the same thing. Being idealistic is trying to win as much as you can, as much as playing a poker game is, and winning as much money as you can. You can't control uh, the variance and you know the quality of mistakes or whatever. You can't control that. But I mean, this is people work the same way. Like people are essentially, like from my point of view, probabilistic. Like you don't know who's gonna like, like turn towards doing good or not. But you can maximize who does based on your actions um if that makes sense that that should make sense like like there's yeah like piece of shit anyway right like someone could still screw you over for money but still the optimal thing in the long run is to be honorable yeah yeah that's true but i think the society should be built with the respect to actual human nature not with the respect to ideal human nature which we aspire to be i agree and by the way the biggest supervillains ever in fantasy movies and things like that and actually in real life have had those sort of ideals and they thought to themselves you know what these ideals are better than all the other shit that everyone else is doing um there's many there's many cartoons that have this like essentially where it's like you know what everyone should just do this i'm gonna make everyone do this yeah yeah, I think, I think, and I think that's uh, kind of the topic we got back at. It's the uh, ultimate, ultimate sin, the pride. That's the ultimate pride. If you think everybody in the world should do this like you want them to do, and if they don't, you want to kill them. That's the like, ultimate level of uh, pride that's have been achieved in history. Yeah, I happen to have <laughs> that, that sort of moral belief system when I was a teenager, as a matter of fact, but things changed me uh, to looking at things differently. All right, pride is the ultimate sin, guys. 
And uh, any last words, True Teller? Any goals? Any people you want to call out? Any uh, dates you want to tell me that I should get beat up on? <laughs> I mean, uh, you can pick the rules out. We could, we could, I guess we could fight MMA. Like I don't, like I haven't thought about that actually. Uh, Not ready. I say you think it was fun talking. Okay, cool. Well, we will we'll see if there's any potential down that avenue, uh, and may the least prideful win.